Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new here with us today, I would like to draw your attention to the fact that we're in a pretty new series uh, that we're calling Eternal Joy. And um, the reason that we're in this series, we just sense that, man, that God had a lot of joy for us that we weren't really tapping into as a church. And uh, the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a church in the city of Philippi. And it really has everything to do about gaining joy in life. Uh, but it's not the way that you would expect to gain it because Paul is actually chained to a Roman guard in Rome in prison as he's writing this letter. And all he can do, and get this, is talk about joy. It's the craziest thing. It's the most bizarre situation. And so the first week that we were in the series, we looked at uh, Acts chapter 16, which is all about how the Philippian church started. And it it's, it's kind of a crazy story of all of these situations and scenarios that you would never want to draw up in your life. You'd never want to wish these on anyone. And it, and it led to the planting of the most joyful church that Paul writes about in the Bible. And we've looked at several other situations uh, in Philippians chapter 1. And now we're in our third week. Today we're going to be talking about the meaning of life. And so that's why I titled the, the sermon Redefining Life. Because I've found that we have, everyone has a definition of life. For me to live is blank. And most of our lives, we, 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 we find ourselves trying to fill in that blank. I mean, that's what we've been doing since sin entered the world back in Genesis 3. We've been trying to fill in the blank of what is life. For me, life is blank. And so today, I want you to be considering that reality. I want you to be answering that question in your heart and in your mind as, you're, as we hear God's Word uh, together today. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about a, uh, a theology that is out there uh, that was uh, 
given to us back in 2011 by the good right reverend, the rapper Drake himself. Anybody listen to Drake? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally joking. I listen to Drake. Too. I like Drake. Drake's good. So, uh, so, so Drake writes this song uh, about YOLO. And if you're not familiar with youth culture, it's, it's, uh, it's, an, it's an acronym for you only live once. And so there's kind of this whole theology that we've built as a culture around this theme, you only live once. And so that leads us to do, you know, things like, you know, like bucket list items like, you know, going down class five rapids or bungee jumping or even skydiving. I mean, I can't believe that some people would actually go skydiving. Uh, it's just the craziest thing in the world. But um, uh, yeah, so I did. 2009, I went skydiving with some uh, friends of mine, uh, and the, kind of the backstory is, we were, I was a youth pastor, and we kind of did this series about just like making the most of life, and the kids were like, you guys won't go skydiving, and we were like, yeah, we will, and, and I started, I, I'll admit, I started to second guess what we were doing um, when I had to sign over like my life insurance policy before I got on the plane. I mean, I, I, mean, I should have started second guessing it before that, but that's really the moment, but then I got in the airplane, and the airplane was... Uh, such a poor uh, uh, aircraft, should I say, uh, that we were looking forward to jumping out of the plane when we got up in the air. It was, it was, it was something else. A lot of fun, but I mean, that's just kind of an example of, of how we live, though, because we think, we, we live this way like you only live once, so we've got to make the most out of this life that we possibly can. And when things like suffering, things like circumstantial things that we don't want to get into in life, or broken relationships, sin affecting our, our, our bodies and our relationships. YOLO doesn't really have a theology for us. It kind of leaves us high and dry in those moments. But the Apostle Paul has some of the worst circumstances happening to him as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And, uh, and all I can talk about is his joy in life and, and what life actually is. So what if, what if it wasn't what's outside of you that gives you life? What if we actually believe that it's what's inside of us that gives us life? What would that look like for us? John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. So that's what the enemy does. That's his job in your life. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to take from you. He wants to kill you. He, 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 wants you, he wants you to be miserable, absolutely miserable. But Jesus says this, I came that they may have life. And not only have life, not just get by, but have abundant life. And Jesus says this as he's on the way to Calvary. As his disciples will, all but one of them basically, we, we know that we're martyred for the faith. He says, you guys are going to have abundant life, but you're going to die, you're going to lose your lives. But you're going to have abundant life. Now, how is that possible? And the Philippians are wondering the same thing. How can we have abundant life even though our leader, Paul himself, is in prison and we're suffering for the cause of the gospel? And this leads us to our big idea of where kind of everything's pointing to today in Philippians 1, which is this. We can't know how to live unless we know what makes us alive. Let me say that again. We can't know how to live because that's really... That's really what we're after. We want to know how to live. What are, what are the things that I need to do to, 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 to be alive, to really experience a fullness of life? And I would say we can't answer the how until we know the what. So, which leads me to my next thought here. What's a biblical definition of life? The Bible in Philippians chapter 1 has the biblical definition of life for us. 
Here's what Paul says, Philippians 1.21. For me, to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's not for me to live is to have enough money in my retirement account so I can travel the world. It's not for me to live is to experience all of these great things in my life, to go bungee jumping and skydiving and do all these really cool things with my friends. For me to live is not to have this perfect family. For, for me to live is not for any of those things, but for me to live is Christ. And that's why when all of these things are taken away from Paul, he still says for me to live is Christ. And I'm a, I've never been more alive is what Paul's saying. Even though it looks like I'm dead because I'm chained to this Roman guard, he's on me 24-7, I can't even sleep without this guy in my ear. I can't go to the bathroom, I can't take a shower, this guy is always chained to me. But for me to live is, is Christ. And it's only when we say, to live as Christ, that we can confidently say this, to die is gain. But what I've found is that most people are absolutely terrified of the word death. And we spend our lives trying to get away from it as much as we possibly can. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. So here's what I've experienced today as we talk about this concept of life, this definition of life. Here's what I've experienced as I've been looking at this for the last couple weeks. Uh, one, I've been encouraged. Okay, I've been encouraged because there are some things that I go after in life that, that make me feel like I'm alive that I haven't really been experiencing maybe. So maybe you'll experience what I've experienced, and it's this, that you actually realize that you're actually much more alive than you thought you were. Because you have Christ, even though you don't have all the worldly gain and possessions and, and health and all of these things that we like to enjoy and like to squeeze life out of, you might actually realize that you're way more alive than you ever thought you were. The second thing that I've experienced is this, is I've been confronted. I've been confronted by the fact that I've tried to squeeze life out of things that were never meant to give me life. But instead, they were meant for me to enjoy as I live in Christ. So those are the two kind of, uh, that's where I vacillate between uh, as I've looked at this text today. So what I want to give you today is this. I want to give you four signs of biblical vitality. These are, these, are, these are the vitals that we ought to be checking out of Philippians 1 in our life. So if these things are going well in our life, it means that Christ is living inside of us. This is what the nurse would check on us. The spiritual nurse would say, hey, are these things going well in your life? The first one is this. Hopeful embrace of affliction above my pain. So you, you have a hopeful embrace of things that come your way even when it's not what you plan for. Because we never plan for affliction, do we? We never, uh, we never plan for pain. We never plan for suffering. But it finds us all somehow, doesn't it? What would it look like to embrace it? We see the Apostle Paul doing this over and over and over again. So the Apostle Paul, his friends are distraught in Philippians 1. Let's, let's turn there if you've got a Bible. It'll be up on the screen. I just want to meander through this a bit here. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, he's in prison. You shouldn't be sad about it because it's really served to advance the gospel. So God is using this in a way that I can't explain. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. He's saying, look, my, my career, this is, this, is a, this is a career-ending move going to prison, okay? I got a felony on my record now. This is a career-ending move. I'm no longer going to be, you know, this church planner that's going all about the world because I'm chained to a Roman guard in prison with no signs of ever getting out. 
Now, for some of us, if we experienced that, if we lost our job and were never able to, to participate in that uh, career again, it would absolutely wreck us. Because for some of us, to live is blank, our career. And when that's taken away, especially men, I'm talking to you this morning, especially men, when, whenever we experience that, when our job is taken away, our career is devastated, something blows up, we lose, we, we lose our lives, we lose our identities because we have tried to squeeze life out of making a dollar and finding our identity in our jobs when it was never meant to give us that. But Paul says, no, no, no. What's happened to me is served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So uh, get this. So these, 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 these Roman guards, they probably rotate in and out every eight hours. So he's chained to a guy for eight hours. I mean, think about these guys. These guys, these guys are rough guys. I mean, prison guards. These guys are chained to the most effective world evangelist in the history of the world. Paul is having a heyday with these guys. He's like, look, I didn't draw this up. I, I thought I was going to be a career church planner, go all around, you know, make it to Rome, go to all these places. I just didn't think I was going to end up in Roman prison. I thought I was going to be planting a church somewhere else. But God is using him in this way. He didn't draw it up, but it's what is happening. And he goes on to say this, and most of the brothers, having become confident, verse 14, in the Lord, by my imprisonment, so the confidence has been given to them because of his imprisonment, because of his suffering, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Everybody's getting encouraged through what Paul has experienced. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it for love, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're, they're just trying to, 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 to pour some salt in Paul's wound. And, and here's what he says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And because of that, I rejoice. It's like, hey, I don't care if they're making fun of me when they're proclaiming the gospel. I know that when the word goes out, that God uses it, that it doesn't return void. He's like, I don't care what happens to me. And he can say this confidently because why? To live is Christ. So as Christ swells throughout his life, throughout his sufferings, throughout the, the, the Roman Empire, through his suffering, to live is Christ. He is, he is a, he's a joyful man because of this. And guys, whenever things in our life are taken away that we're trying to squeeze life out of, the Bible calls these idols, whenever they're taken out of our life, uh, what happens with us is we begin to ask the question, why should I live? When things are taken out of our life that we're trying to squeeze life out of, we ask the question, why should I live? And I, I experienced this this week. I was leading a, a, a group of work. I lead a Bible study at a, at a, at a place of work, uh, a business in, in the Lawrenceville area. And we were in small groups kind of talking about the Word together. And uh, one of the young ladies just says, hey, I, I just don't really know why I'm alive. I don't really know why I'm living. I don't know, really know what I'm going after. And, and, and if we're honest, I think we all hit that crossroad at some times. Like, what, why am I put here? What am I doing here? And it can kind of go one of two ways, right? It can lead us further into despair as we try and attempt to squeeze life out of different things. Uh, it's probably um, the way that spiritual depression can work sometimes when things aren't going the way that we think that they are. 
and it leads us down into this dark hole. There's a lot, by the way, there's a lot more going on with depression than just that. I'm not trying to glaze over that. I'm just saying it can work like that. And I know some of you in here today, you deal with this. You thought that life was blank, and really you're finding out that 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 was not provided to you through a series of circumstances. And so you're in a dark, if you're honest, you would say, I'm in a dark place this morning. I didn't think I was going to be this lonely in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s. I didn't think that marriage was going to be this tough. I didn't think that my, I thought my kids, I did everything right with my kids. I didn't know they were going to walk down that path, go down that road. And you're asking God, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? But Paul says that this hardship that he's experiencing is all a part of God's plan. The Roman guard, I mean the whole bit, I mean everything is a part of God's plan. Matthew Henry said it like this in his commentation on Philippians 1. He, sa- he says this right here. He says, uh, Christ is the true spiritual alchemy. Anybody in here know what alchemy is? Alchemy is... Uh, was, a, was a process that preceded chemistry. It was kind of led the way to, to chemistry. And alchemy was the attempt, now keyword attempt, uh, to, to uh, uh, chemically uh, produce gold out of lead. Okay, and this, this went on for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were like, hey man, we got tons of lead. I mean, lead is this seemingly worthless metal. They thought, hey, how can we produce gold out of lead. I mean, if we could figure out that, I mean, if we could turn the most useless form of metal into the most valuable form of metal, that would be a great idea, right? And so they try and try and try and try, and it never really happens. So how can, how can I take something of no value and, and, and make it to something of great value? So Matthew Henry says Jesus is the great alchemist. He's the only one that's ever solved the riddle. He's the only one that's ever solved the problem. And what we see with Jesus is He takes everything in our lives. For those that love God and are called according to His purpose, He works all things together for, for our good, is what Romans 8.28 says. He, works, he turns all of those things into gold. And so, I know what you're saying. You're like, hey Ryan, my circumstances right now, they don't seem like gold to me. They don't, they don't really seem like gold. They seem a lot more like lead, like heavy weight, like I'm tired of carrying this weight, Ryan. But he takes the lead of our lives and he turns it into gold when we are in Christ. That is what Paul is saying here. Nothing can take that joy away from us because he's always turning things for good even when we don't draw them up that way. He takes the raw material of your life, beaten down, hard-pressed, and he transforms it. That's what God does. That's what he does in our lives. He's the true spiritual alchemy. He doesn't care how Christ is proclaimed, only that He's proclaimed because God is going to do that work. So let me ask you this question. What is it in your life right now that you just want out of your life and it just keeps showing up time and time again, this heavy weight that you carry around? What is it? Have you ever considered asking God how He might be inviting you to experience more of His joy through that pain? Have you ever done that before? Have you, ever, have you ever invited God into the process of the things that you want to get rid of? Uh, you know, you're struggling in your marriage. You're thinking, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? And we invite God into the midst of it. And we say, marriage is really, 
marriage is really this reflection of our relationship with God. It's this, it's this reflection. It's this death to self. And so we're, we're constantly dying to the joys of, that we find from circumstances and coming alive to the joys that we find in being in Christ. And we find that, that nothing outside of us can take the joy away when Christ lives inside of us. Nothing. Nothing can take that away from you. And that's what made Paul's message so powerful because he lived it. Second, eternal redemption above circumstantial alleviation. So I'm going to read one verse here. Philippians 1.19 Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Notice what Paul's saying here. He's, he's saying, hey look, I'm going to experience deliverance because of all these things that are happening. God is ultimately going to deliver me. Now, when I first read this, I thought, okay, what Paul's saying is like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a good dude, and so I'm doing good things even though I'm in prison. This is going to turn out for my release from prison. But when you look at the Greek language that's actually underneath what he's saying there, it's the word for salvation. In every other place in the New Testament, that word for deliverance is used for the word salvation. So I think it's kind of a poor translation here. It will turn out for my salvation. Now, when you read it that way, it gives you an eternal perspective, doesn't it? Because so many times we're just looking for the alleviation from the painful circumstance, and Jesus wants to give us so much, something so much better. He wants to give us eternal deliverance, eternal salvation. And yet we have to walk through the pain of seeing that nothing in this world can give us life except for Christ. And for some of us, the road is a little longer than it is for others. You have to experience a little bit more pain than other people. And you try to squeeze a little bit more life out of different things than other people. And we don't have the, we don't have the market on that. We can't control how God sanctifies us and brings them to Himself. But we know that He does it when we're in Christ. I want, guys, I want New City Church to be a church that bleeds our suffering and our pain uh, and, and affliction for every ounce of Christ's glory that we can possibly muster out of it. What would it look like for us that when we experience those things and say, God, I know that you want to use this and I'm, I am not content by wasting this suffering, by wasting this pain, but I want everything that you have for your kingdom and for my good in it. What would it look like if we approached suffering that way instead of trying to run away from it? If we, if we approached affliction, approached all the different trials that we experience in life that way. And it, here's really the great diagnostic for what, what happens when we get under the pressure of life. Whenever we get under the heat of life, when, when things don't go as we planned. Here's a diagnostic. It comes from John Owen a couple hundred years ago. He says it like this. This is, this is one of my favorite quotes, by the way. Trials and temptations put nothing into a man. So let's stop right there. You may think that the things that you're going through right now can put something into you. The good things in your life can give you something. They can give you nothing. They don't put anything into a man. Whenever we are under the pain, we are under the heat, we are under that experience that we want to we run away from, they only draw out what was in him before. That's rich. Trials and temptations put nothing into a man. They only draw out, they only show us, they only expose what is in us. And a lot of times, you know what they expose? What we're trying to find life in. 
They expose what we're trying to find life in. So when we're absolutely devastated when we lose our job, men, or we get a pay cut, or we get, we get they want to relocate us, or whatever it is, what we find out is we're, we're devastated, and we're, we're kind of crippled by that. We realize we're trying to squeeze life out of our job. There's, there's, but then there's more acceptable forms of idolatry, right? I mean, when, when things happen in our family or in our marriage that we want to run away from and they absolutely destroy us, we find that we're trying to squeeze life out of our marriage that, that God can never give us. He can't grant that. He can only give us life in Christ. Christ is the only one that's eternal. Trials show us what's making our heart beat. They show us, they expose, they show us what those things are. Think about, think about life. Think, think about what we define life as. John 3.16, which is a super familiar verse. Romans 6.23, another super familiar verse to a lot of people. Both talk about life, and they, they talk about life in a different sense than we talk about life. Think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Not life, it, eternal life. So when you have eternal life, when you have life beyond the grave, you live differently than when life is, ends at the grave. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? I mean, so, so eternal life is what Paul is talking about. It's what he's experiencing. It, I, th- I find it interesting, too, that Paul is actually quoting from the book of Job when he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's quoting Job. Now, Job is a character in the Bible that if you think you've experienced hardship, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. Job 13, 15, and 16 says this, and, and, and as we're, as we're kind of getting that up on the screen and turning there in your Bible, Job lost absolutely everything except his own life. Everything. He lost it all. And a couple of, and a few bad friends. That's, he, he lost everything but his life and a few bad friends, you know, which is not great, right? So he lost his family, he lost all of his wealth, all of his possessions, lost, his job, lost everything. And this is what Job says to God, even when his friends are giving him the worst wisdom in the world. They're telling him to blame God, to curse God. They're, they're telling him to walk away from God, that God has left them, all these things. And Job says this, though he slay me. He didn't say, though life is slaying me, I'm going to get through this. He didn't offer some cheesy motivational quote. He said, God is slaying me right now. He's the one that's letting the enemy destroy my life right now. He says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. So I think the enemy would have been content to just kind of give him back everything. Because if you remember in Job chapter 1, the enemy has to go and ask God permission to do all of these things to Job. God has power over that. God is after Job's Job's heart, his, his, his salvation. And he allows all of these things to happen to him so that he will be forever his. And it is a testimony to all of us that nothing outside of us can ever give us life. And ultimately, it is God that is after our hearts. He's after us. Though he slay me, get hope in him. I'll say this. Life, life is hard, is it not? Tim Keller says this. He says, hey, life is, I think life is harder for Christians. 
Because Christians actually have some good works that they could stand on. They could say, hey God, look at all these things that I did. And yet God seems to make Christians suffer more than anyone else. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed all of the, if you ever read uh, biographies, you should read some missionary biographies because the things that happen to these men and women are absolutely insane. But God uses them to advance the gospel in all of the world. Life is, life is hard, but life without him is impossible. So I want you to hear that today, especially if you're in here today and you say, I'm not really crossed that line of faith. I don't really trust in Christ for my salvation alone. Life is hard without him, with him. It is, it is impossible without him. You will spend an eternity seeking life from things that don't have a pulse apart from Jesus. Paul had his heart and his mind set on the book of Job. Why? Because Job went through it. He went through the ringer. He was thinking through it. He was meditating on that. C.J. Mahaney, uh, this, this, this past spring, our, our staff was uh, on a retreat together, and we, we got to hear C.J. Mahaney preach. And C.J. Mahaney said this, Job is 42 chapters for a reason. You know, we tend to think about the book of Job and say, if you've ever read it before, all right, the first three chapters, we hear how everything goes wrong. The last three chapters, we kind of hear how God puts everything back together. Now, you and I just want to skip through the, 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 the 36 chapters in the middle. We, we just want to say, hey, let's just cut to the chase. I don't want to hear about all the him hauling around, about all of his bad friendships and his wife telling him to curse God, all that kind of stuff. But that's not the way suffering works. Suffering takes 42 chapters, doesn't it? It takes all of you. And that is how God is making us his own. That's how, we're, that's how the world sees that to live is Christ, to die is gain. If everything was all peachy in our lives, how would they ever see that Christ is so much more than what we can see? That life in Him is actually eternal? How could we ever see that? Thirdly, Christ honor, the third vital sign, Christ honor above my comfort. So in Philippians 1.21, this is, this is kind of 120 and 21. This is, this is like a really popular verse that... You know, probably, even if you've never been at church, you've probably heard this before. It says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, will be honored, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's after honor. That word for honor is the word magnify. Paul wants Christ to be magnified no matter what. That's his, that's his primary aim. Forget about himself. He wants Christ's honor in his life. And he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every moment in our life is, a, is an opportunity to invite the world to see Jesus. If things are going great in your life, it's an opportunity for you not to put your hope in those things. And to live humbly, because you didn't earn those things, they were a gift from God. If things are going terrible in your life, lift your eyes up to the hills. Where does your help come from? It comes from God, as Psalm 121 says. So Paul has this, this, this massive awareness. It's like in the forefront of his mind that he's actually united to Christ for all of eternity. So he's not waiting to experience Jesus when he dies. He's experiencing the vibrant life that Christ lives here and today. This is a huge thing for us to understand, our, our mystical union with Christ, as theologians call it. And, and there's not really a better passage in the Scriptures than Galatians 2.20, which says this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is Paul that writes this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave Himself up for me. So what's he saying? He's saying that his life is, is, he's already experienced death. He's already experienced death. For him to die, he's already experienced the death to flesh. Because if we're honest, YOLO is actually a true concept. You really only do live once. But it's only after you've died to yourself and been brought to life in Christ that you really experience life. And, and most of your friends, most of our community, think that that life only comes after we die. Most of Christians, they don't understand the fact that we get to experience life right here and now. The, the power of the resurrection lives inside of us, as Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3. Guys, we get to experience life now, and this is what Paul is putting on display and is so attractive to the world. That he's experiencing life right here and now. And he says the only way that you live this life right now is by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up. So we, we crucify the flesh daily, and, and it is true that we don't get to experience the fullness of life in Jesus until sin is wiped off the face of the earth. When Jesus comes back for us. When we go to be with Him. It is a very present reality for Paul to experience life. And it is true that he is experiencing it even as he's experiencing terrible circumstances. He was a man that was rejected by the world. I'm reminded of D.L. Moody's story. He was a man that was rejected by the world. I mean, he was, it, things were so bad for D.L. Moody that he had to go to the family shoe, shoe store and begin working when he was 19. He couldn't find a job anywhere. He was experiencing continuous rejection. And so, some of you, like me, have experienced tremendous rejection in your life. Others of you, you know, you frustrate us because you just seem to succeed in everything. But there's some in the room that are like me that get, you get rejected and God meets you in your rejection. Well, D.L. Moody was like that. He was converted in that shoe store that he had to go work at. Isn't it funny how God works? And he finally realized what life really meant. He says this, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East, East Northfield is dead. He said, Don't you believe it at all? At that moment I shall be more alive than I am right now. So it is true that God will give us life, but He has given us life right now too. We will continue to experience more and more of the life that we have in Christ as we put the flesh to death. And this is what Paul is talking about when he's seeking Christ's honor above his comfort. Lastly, and, and this is, I think this is the toughest one, so don't zone out on me here. Um, the last vital sign for us as God's people, uh, we seek others' progress in Christ above my desire. So let me read these four verses to you real quick. Uh, Philippians 1, 22 through 26. For I am to live for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Life or death he's talking about. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and listen to this and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He, he says, hey, look, it's better to depart. 
that word for depart is like it's nautical language. It's like a, it, it's it, it's so think about a ship. I don't know if you've ever been to a a harbor before, or should I say a haba? You ever been to a haba up in Boston? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a harbor before, but you notice out in the harbor, out in the bay, there are all of these little buoys that are all over the place, and there's these boats like kind of chained up to them and tied up to them. The language here is, is language, it's called mooring whenever you, when you, when you hook a boat up to one of those buoys there and you, you kind of leave it out in the bay instead of docking it. The language is that, hey, I want to set sail and be with Jesus. That's the language. I'm ready to get out of here. But for your progress, Philippians, and every other church that he ever planted, for your progress, I'm going to stay anchored here. I'm going to stay anchored here. Now, so, so what's this mean for us today? Well, I have a question for you. When is the last time that you were actually inconvenienced for someone else's progress in the gospel? Because as good old Americans, we just kind of get after it for ourselves and, and look out for us and our own. But Paul says, hey, there, there's something here that, God, that Jesus does in us. He causes us to die to ourselves and, and come alive for the benefit and gain of others. So for some of you, that means that, that you've got really plugged into a church community, and you're, gonna get, you're, you're really good at your job, and so you're going to get a job offer. And you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to chase this career thing? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drawing like a, uh, I don't want to draw an um, uh, uninformed paradox here, but, but I, do, I do just want to point it out. You're going to have to make a decision. What is my priority? Is it to chase money? Is it to chase gain? Or do I have other priorities that come into consideration as well? The same thing happens with, 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 with how we choose to spend our time, what hobbies we choose to participate in. I mean, some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You're like, I don't really need to be in a small group. I don't really need to disciple other people. Well, maybe God's inviting you to sacrifice for the gain of other people. Maybe it's really not about you. Maybe it's about Jesus. And maybe God really wants to use all of those things he's put into your heart and your life for the gain of someone else in this room. What would it look like for us to lay down our lives, as Paul talks about here in Philippians 1, for the gain of someone else? My hope, church, is that we uh, would be a people uh, that would lay down our lives for the gain of others, and that that would be almost one of the, the most pleasing aromas to God and to our, com- our community. I'm reminded of this picture that I, that I saw this week when I was studying. Um, from the, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a logo, an icon from the American Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. Uh, so it's, this is from 1814, so a little old school, but it's a pretty good iconography back then. And, and it says this, ready for either. Now, now, on the bottom, there is, there is an ox and there is a plow. And on the top, it's either a grave or an altar. I'm not real sure. It means death, wh- whichever it is, okay? So, kind of, kind of the, the, the thing is this, is, 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 is are we, we're either going to be ready to spend, to spend our lives, to pour them out for the sake of the gospel, or to be sent, to be spent. And so there's the plow, there's the ox. We're, we're going we're gonna to plow the ground of the gospel. We're going to labor in the lives of other people for their gain in the gospel. Or we're going to depart and we're going to burn out in a blaze of glory for the sake of Jesus. And my prayer is that that would be our church. And friends, to kind of wrap all this up, we, we, we can't know how to live unless we know what makes us alive. 
So as, as we wrap all this up, what, what's the fill in the blank for you? What is it that, that for you to live is blank? And, and, and don't just give a trite, quick response to that. Let, let that soak in and let God search you. And to answer that question and to write those things out, to talk about them with your family, with your mom, with your dad, with your husband, with your wife, and ask God to reveal those things to you. I'll close with a, with a stanza of a poem, and then we'll pray together. It's from C.T. Studd. It says this, Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done in Christ will last. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as... Uh, as broken vessels. We come to you um, needy. We come to you um, contrite, broken. Uh, we come to you prideful. Um, we come to you uh, in places that we'd rather not acknowledge today. But Jesus meets us. And because of that, we have great hope. God, I pray that you would expand our capacity to die to ourselves and to really come, come alive to what it means to be in you. Um, they wouldn't be so quick to defend ourselves and too quick to escape things that are painful, but we'd seek you in all things. That we'd look for you in all things and that we would be so jealous for your glory to go forth from our lives. Um, that we would bleed every ounce of our suffering and our trial and our pain for the sake of your name. So Father, we, we thank you for this time together today. And Lord, our hope, our hope is we would actually experience life. For to live as Christ and to die as gain. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.